Today's episode is a little different. No specific mental model, but some notes from a podcast I recently listened to. Hope you enjoy. Welcome to episode 15 of Mike's Notes. Today, five things I learned from Jeff DeGraff. Jeff DeGraff joined Barry Ritholtz on the Bloomberg Masters in Business podcast. And what I liked so much about this episode was that Jeff and Barry touched on a lot of themes that I see in interviews with finance people. And I thought it would be interesting to talk about the five things I learned from Jeff DeGraff in his conversation with Barry Ritholtz. One. DeGraff talks about the pot odds and the payout odds. And he notes that sometimes, even though a bet is a long shot, it's worth putting a little bit money in to see if you can make it. Yeah, look, I, 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 I describe it a little differently. Uh, the difference between the pot odds and the odds in my hand, right? There's a certain probability of pulling a card to complete an inside flush, or an inside straight, pardon me. Um, if the opportunity to stay in the pot is low enough and the uh, the reward is high enough, absolutely those, even though it might be a very slim chance of pulling that straight, the, the, the chance to stay in makes an awful lot of sense. And, and that's how we think. So DeGraff has found something that Charlie Munger has also touched on. This is from a 1994 speech that Munger game, gave to the USC Business School. Quote, any damn fool can see that a horse carrying a lightweight with a wonderful win rate and a good post position, etc., etc., is way more likely to win than a horse with a terrible record and extra weight, and so on and so on, end quote. So Munger has pointed out here that anyone can see that if you had to just pick a winner of the horse race, you would pick the best horse with the lightest jockey that had the highest winning rate. But that's not how horse racing works. You have to look at the odds. So Munger goes on, quote, but if you look at the odds, the bad horse pays 100 to 1, whereas the good horse pays 3 to 2. Then it's not clear which is statistically the best bet using the mathematics of Fermat and Pascal. The prices have changed in such a way that it's very hard to beat the system, end quote. Munger and DeGraff know that sometimes it's, making, it's worth making a bet on the long shot because the odds of payoff for that long shot are so good. Cliff Asness has realized this, and in his conversation with Tyler Cowen, he talked about how this is sometimes a tricky subject, and he wants to broach this with his kids and get them to think this way. Now, I'm dying to do this. I've not done it yet. I've talked about it for about two years. I'm about ready to try it. I want to ask one of my, one of my two older kids, they're a set of twins, they're 12 years old, does this sound like a good idea to you? But something like a merger... A is buying B. If the deal closes, it's going to go to here. A is going to fall and B is going to rise. And I think there's about a 98% chance they say, no, that sounds like a terrible idea to me. You can lose a lot. You can make a little. Who wants to do that? I'd be the proudest pop on earth if either of them kind of paused and said, how often do both of those two things happen, Dad? Because that's the proper question. Right? It turns out if, if you do this rather with zero skill, you just do every merger that ever comes along. 
Maybe you can do better, maybe not, but you just do this every time. You've made a lot of money over time. You get killed occasionally. You're basically selling insurance. When, they, when the deals don't happen, you lose a lot. Asnes knows that in mergers, companies tend to converge on a certain price. So if one company is worth $100 a share and another company is worth $80 a share, then a consistently good bet is to bet that the stock price will go to $90 a share. And that makes sense, although we can see that if that doesn't happen, if you make a large bet on that and the merger fails to go through for some reason, Asnes points out that you can lose a lot of money. But that's not the question to ask. Asnes says the key question is to know what the odds are and to start to think of things in those terms. And it's the same thing as DeGraff, and it's the same thing as Munger. You have to know what the payout is and then what it's going to cost you to get into that game. What is it going to cost you to win that amount of money? Two. DeGraff's second point that I enjoyed from the interview was having a deep understanding about how something works. He tells Ritholtz that just because you can do some analysis doesn't necessarily mean you should do it. You have to deeply understand how things work. You know, I think one of the problems that you end up with is, um, you know, you, you give people the opportunity to sort of do things and they think they can do it, right? And they don't have the background or the understanding um, to fully take advantage of what some of the technology can do. A deep understanding can be helpful because it brings the full picture into view. It's like seeing things in color rather than in black and white. One of my favorite examples of this was from Chris Hadfield's book, An Astronaut's Guide to Life on Earth. And in that book, Hadfield talks about all the preparation and training that goes into a mission to space. And he said even the attention to the food surprised him a little bit. This is a quote from the book page 81. Quote, in that debrief about food, for instance, we're asked, how was it? What did you like? Why? Was there enough for everyone? What did you throw away? How about the packaging? Any way you could think to improve it? The level of detail we go into helps explain why the food on the station is, for the most part, really good. End quote. So that's Hadfield talking about just the detail for the food that the astronauts eat. In an interview, Melody Hobson said that George Lucas has binders that are two inches thick for each planet on Star Wars. It has details on the climate, the terrain, the people who live there, the language they speak, the type of things that they keep in their houses. There's all kind of details that help make Star Wars, at least the original trilogy, really good. I also saw this in Donald Trump's book, where Trump was thinking about investing in New York City real estate, but he realized he didn't know everything he needed to know. He didn't fully understand the situation well enough. So Trump writes, quote, I began to walk the streets in a way you never do if you just come in to visit or to do business, end quote. So Trump is trying to see the details of the street that otherwise he would miss. Deep understanding is really important. Just because you have the tools to do something like write a great space opera or invest in real estate or take a trip, if you have more details, if you deeply understand something, then often that thing will work out better for you, like it did for George Lucas, Trump, and Hadfield. Three. DeGraff also talked about the spectrum thinking that his 
company uses, that they try to blend two different types of thinking, two different ends of a spectrum to get a nice solid understanding in the middle. You know, you can get into this debate between art and science, and I get it, and I, I do think that technical analysis probably relies too much on art. Mm -hmm. uh, fundamental analysis relies probably too much on science. Um, we try to blend the two. Keeping in mind that many things exist on a spectrum is a really valuable way to think. In an interview with Nate Silver, he said that the big win for sabermetrics, the big win for statistics in baseball, wasn't the complete adoption of statistics in baseball. Rather, it was the use of them to improve the overall scouting experience. Other things still matter. It wasn't a completely numerative process. Rather, it was taking a bunch of things and using them to get the best picture possible. Four. Know the rules of the game you're playing. Here's a rule of thumb that DeGraff gives Ritholtz. The market will fib, but it won't be a, a, a chronic liar. In the game of the stock market, then, we can expect certain fibs, but maybe not necessarily lies. Games are a helpful way to think about things because it often simplifies things into rules that we can understand. It changes environments that are complex to ones that are merely complicated where we can get a better handle on the situation. My favorite example of games is from James Carse's book Finite and Infinite Games where he opens the book with this quote, there are at least two kinds of games. One could be called finite, the other infinite. A finite game is played for the purpose of winning, an infinite game for the purpose of continuing the play. So what Carse has noted here is that we should know the type of game we're playing. DeGraff is saying that we should know the rules of the type of the game we're playing. This is really about being aware and sort of knowing what's going on. If we have an understanding about what's happening, we can better choose our actions. Five. In the interview, Ritholtz asks the key question to DeGraff. So why not manage a fund? Why not run money or put together ETFs? Yeah. Why be an analyst? Well, so that's you hear of, this question all the time? That's one of the reasons why we started RedMac, to be honest with you. So mm -hmm. we, we have a small, albeit small, um, we have a RedMac Capital mm -hmm. um, where we haven't actively raised money. We have a ongoing strategy that's in that, mostly partner money right now. Mm -hmm. um, but that's, that's definitely, uh, you know, stage RenMac 2.0 uh, uh -huh. that's in that, uh, in that zone there, but what we do is, you know, we eat our own cooking. A great way to run your business is if one of your best customers is yourself. Earlier in 2016, Ben Thompson wrote an article called The Amazon Tax at Stratechery, and what his big point, what one of his big points was in that article was that Part of the reason Amazon has succeeded so well is because they are their best customer. Thompson writes, quote, The cost to build AWS was justified because the first and best customer is Amazon's e-commerce business, end quote. Later in the post, he continues, quote, The cost to build out Amazon's fulfillment centers was justified because the first and best customer is Amazon's e-commerce business, end quote. So these two reflective quotes offer a really nice perspective on part of the reason Amazon has succeeded is because 
they are able to build out these services. They are able to invest a certain amount of capital because they know that they will be the ones to use it. Those are five things I learned from Jeff DeGraff. One, know the pot and the payout. Two, have a deep understanding of the skills that you're trying to use. Three, remember that everything is a spectrum, that things exist somewhere on that spectrum. Four, know the rules of the game and the type of game you're playing. And five, being your best customer is a helpful way to run a business. Thanks for listening to this episode of Mike's Notes. Well, that's very nice. Thank you very much. Now, why don't you make like a tree and get out of here? It's leave, you idiot. Make like a tree and leave. You sound like a damn fool when you say it wrong. All right, then, leave. And take your book with you.